Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good, good Father. And that we are truly loved by you. And Lord, this morning we pray for the victims, the victims' families of the the shootings that have taken place in Texas and Ohio. Lord, we pray that those who have been affected by these tragic events would feel your love. Lord, in, in such a time of uncertainty, in such a time of sadness and doubt, Lord, we pray that people who need you would feel your love. Lord, that your truth, the truth of your Son, Jesus, would would settle in their hearts and their minds, and that they would see and know the salvation that is only available through you, the hope of life change that is available through your Son, Jesus. So Lord, we, we pray that you would speak that into the lives of these many people, and that Lord, you'd speak that in, into our lives this morning, and that you would teach us and help us to understand your direction for our lives, so that we can live in the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you so much for today, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to start in chapter 6. So the book of Daniel chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible or an app with you this morning, there are Bibles in the backs of the pews. Feel free to grab one of those. If you're not sure where to find the book of Daniel, it's in the Old Testament. It's after Psalms, so if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you opened right to the middle, you'd be pretty close to the book of Psalms. And then right after Psalms, there are three big books with a few little ones sprinkled in there. Uh, You'll pass Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Daniel is right after Ezekiel. So you could literally just kind of thumb through and go through Proverbs and some of those, and then you'll pass Isaiah and then Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Daniel is directly after the book of Ezekiel. If I've confused you, just use the table of contents. That's why God gave it to us. Um, please, it's, there, there is no doubt that there are books that are difficult to find. There are 66 books in this book. That sounds really strange, but that's the truth. There are 66 books, and it is difficult sometimes to find one out of those 66 uh, when you're thumbing through, so there's no shame in going to the table of contents. Now, I'm going to open this morning with a question for you. We all make decisions day in and day out, don't we? Sometimes we make decisions without even realizing that we're making a decision. You get up in the morning and you go and put on some clothes and you go down to eat breakfast and a lot of that is such a normal routine for us that we don't even think about it, right? But in the process we make decisions, whether it's, am I going to have eggs or oatmeal? Am I going to wear red socks or white socks today? Am I going to wear a button-up shirt or a polo? Well, it's blazing hot outside, so put a short sleeves on. But we go through the process of making decisions constantly. Now, some of those decisions are very small, and some of those decisions are life-changing, right? Think of times when you've had to make a major decision within your life, and then 
you think about times when you've made like tiny, teensy, minuscule decisions. Where am I going with this? My question is, what is the foundation that helps you make decisions? In other words, when you're going to make, think about an important decision, when you're going to, to make an important decision, what are the factors that play into the direction that your decision goes? Is it family that, that tends to direct that decision? Is it your career? Uh, maybe you're an entrepreneur and you have employees, so you have to consider uh, how your decision is going to affect those that you, you employ. Is it just a whim? Is it maybe how much money am I going to make by this decision? There's so many factors that go into making the decisions that we face day in and day out that we need to understand what the foundation of our decision-making process may be. Now, obviously, as a preacher, I'm going to argue this morning that our foundation for all of our decisions should at first start with our faith in Christ. And that's what I'm going to pose to you today is how do we know when we make decisions, whether we're making those decisions for us or whether we're making those decisions for God and His glory, for, for the furthering of Jesus Christ's name throughout the world. So we're going to look at a man named Daniel today. Now, um, let me give you a, a, a preview, a, a synopsis of chapters 1 through 6 of the book of Daniel. Daniel takes place at a point in history where the Babylonian Empire has come into Israel and has conquered Israel. They have destroyed everything. Solomon's grand temple that he had built and covered in gold and, and jewels, and, and it was one of the most ornate, beautiful buildings of that day and time, has been left to rubble. They have pulled all the stones. They've stolen all of the valuables out from inside this temple. So they've taken over the land of Israel, and they've taken the people, and they have scattered them throughout the Babylonian Empire. I've explained this before. It was common practice in this day and time. If you conquered a land, you scattered the people out through all of your conquered lands so that that people could not gather together and create a rebellion against you. So King Nebuchadnezzar has scattered the people across all of his kingdom, but he has specifically taken the smartest, the, the healthiest, the strongest young men of the kingdoms that he conquers, and he brings them back to his capital. And he trains them up in Babylonian education, in Babylonian religion. He, he teaches them how to live to serve the king. And we find today, in, in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, that Daniel and three other young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all four are some of these choice young men. They're intelligent, they're royal, or they're, their families were wealthy, so they had good educations. Nebuchadnezzar has taken these four, along with many others, and he has brought them back to his capital, and he is training them up to be good servants of his kingdom, servants for him. And so we find in chapter 1, for example, they've been taken back to the capital and they're being fed food that God's word commanded them not to eat. So Daniel goes to his guard and he says, we're not allowed to eat this. Can we live on fruits and vegetables? And the guard says, no, 
Why would I let you do that? And Daniel says this. He says, just, just give me this span of time and test me. Let me eat what our God allows us to eat and then see if we are not healthier than all the others. And so the guard goes, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Let's try this. And so he allows Daniel to eat what God's word allows him to eat. And at the end of the appointed time, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the healthiest among all of the young men. And so he gains favor in that moment with the guard. And the guard actually puts him over many of the young men and puts him in charge of them. And we read other accounts, you've, you've heard the, maybe the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where there was this statue that was put up and everybody was commanded to worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of course did not. We don't know where Daniel is at this time, he may have been traveling with the king's uh, consort and, and traveling somewhere to do something for the king. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there, they would not bow down and worship, so the king said, fine, if you're not going to worship, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. What happens? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace, the guards that push them in actually die themselves from the, from the heat, and when the king looks up towards the fiery furnace, he sees the three of them along with a fourth person, and they're alive walking around in the fire. And then, of course, the king calls them out. The three of them come out. The fourth one disappears. And it says in, in Daniel that they didn't even smell like smoke, let alone have any burn marks or singe marks from the fire. So that's kind of a, a synopsis. There are many other things. There's, there are sets of dreams that take place, and, and there's some different accounts of, of some of the things that took place in Nebuchadnezzar and another king's reign. But I want to fast forward to the book of Daniel chapter 6. Now, if you grew up in church, or maybe even if you didn't, you may have heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den. That's what we find in chapter 6. Now, look with me in chapter 6, starting in verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. Now, Daniel is now one of the highest advisors to the king. Um, he is amongst what are called the governors and satraps, the, the leaders that made decisions for the king and were advisors to the king. And some of these other leaders were jealous of Daniel's favor with the king, and they make a plan to get rid of Daniel. They knew that Daniel's faith would not be shaken no matter what law was given, so they devise a law by which Daniel would be tested by his faith, and it's a lose-lose situation for Daniel. So look with me in verse 6 of chapter 6. It says, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever! The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den." Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. In other words, they flattered him enough that he said, you know what, I do like this idea. I like the idea of everybody praying and worshiping me alone for the next month. Good idea, guys. Let's do it. Now pick up in verse 10. This is where the conflict happens with Daniel. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, 
he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Interesting. Let's, let's build a picture here for just a moment. Daniel normally, regularly had these windows that he would go and kneel down and pray three times a day. This was part of his habit, his daily routine. And the king brings down this, this law saying that no one can pray or worship anybody other than the king. And so what is Daniel's choice here? Either stop the habits that everyone knew he did. Let's face it, if he was in his upper room praying out loud with the windows open facing Jerusalem, people knew that he was there. And what would the assumption be if all of a sudden he stopped praying? Everybody would assume that he was praying to the king, that he had stopped praying to his God. That's not an option for Daniel, is it? But he also knows that if he does disobey this law, it is a death sentence. He will be thrown into the lion's den. And in that case, no one survived. The lion's den was this big pit in the ground, and it had a small opening at the top uh, along one side. And so you'd drop somebody in, and they had lions down inside, and before they would drop someone in for a few days, they would starve the lions. So that by the time that someone was dropped in, they were ravenously hungry, and that nothing alive would live inside that pit. And so Daniel ends up getting thrown in, of course. If, you're, if you've been to church before and you've heard this story, we find out that Daniel gets thrown in, and what happens? God closes the mouths of the lions. That's the words that the Bible uses. He closes the mouths of the lions. The next morning, the king opens up the pit, sees that Daniel's alive, pulls him out, and he says, because of your God's faithfulness and your God's power to close the mouths of these lions, I'm going to do away with this decree. It's done, and people will worship your God, not me. And then, fast forward a little further, they drop the satraps and the governors that had coerced the king into to passing this law, and what happens to them? The Bible says that the lions killed them and ate them before they even touched the ground. They didn't even, they didn't even make it to the bottom of the pit before these lions overtook them. Now, you've heard this story if you grew up in church, you're familiar with this story. Maybe you heard it on, uh, at a VBS, or maybe you've seen the flannel graph of this, right? With the lion. You remember flannel graphs? Where did those go? They're in a storage room somewhere on this campus, I'm sure of it. But anyways, you grew up, if you grew up in church, you've heard this story over and over and over and over and over again. And the point of this story is Daniel's courage, Right? We're always taught about how courageous Daniel is in this moment to defy the king's order and still continue to pray and worship his God, the God that he alone will worship. But I want to put out another possibility. Yes, Daniel is courageous and he is a hero of faith, but I think there's another thing that we can learn. I think that Daniel is not just a hero and courageous, I think he gives us a beautiful example of how to live your life in a world that does not like God. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Do we live in a society today that dictates its governing and dictates its day-to-day activities as a culture based on faith in God? Does our culture say, what would God say about this law? No. No, our culture is going the, the other direction. It's going the direction of saying, we want to actually not, do, not uh, follow what God says. We actually want to kind of swing the other direction, right? Many people in our culture are persecuted to a certain extent. I, I caution using the word persecuted because if you compare an American's persecution, persecution in the United States versus someone in a real persecuted country like China, we don't, do, we don't go through anything. Our persecution is nothing compared to most of the world. But you do have situations where people will look down on you uh, or fight against you or debate you because of your stance on God. But I think that Daniel shows us how to interact with a culture that is not for God, that is anti-God. Because Daniel's culture was not for God, was it? He lived in a Babylonian empire where they worshipped the king and the set of Persian gods. They did not like the Israelite God. They thought it was foolish to worship him. None of their laws were based on biblical principles. So Daniel was forced into a situation where he had to live in a culture, in a world that was against God, that was anti-God. Now how did he do this? How did he make decisions and how did he live in this culture? I'll pose this. Daniel knew his mission. Daniel knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what he was put on the earth for. He was put on the earth to do God's work to lead people to God and for God's glory. He knew that and everything that he did was based off of that mission. So what is our mission? Well, if you're a member of First Southern Baptist Church, over the next few months we're going to make you very familiar with the mission of First Southern. The mission of First Southern is to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. Lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, how do we do that? How do we lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus? Well, we need to make that at least part of how we exist personally. The decisions we make as individuals need to at least reflect, kind of, sort of, the mission of this church or have a variation of the mission of the church but does your life reflect Jesus's mission for you you see we live in submission to fulfill Jesus's mission that's my big idea today that's my idea that I want you to remember is this little statement we live in submission to fulfill Jesus's mission you see the issue here is that If we claim that Jesus is our Lord and our Master, then our mission needs to reflect His mastership over us. We must submit. We must say, God, my own desires, my own mission in life, my own values, I'm going to put on the back burner and I'm going to live by your values and your mission and your glory. 
And so when we live in submission, we put our own mission to the side and we live out God's mission for us. So, our mission should reflect His Lordship. I've got a quote for you. Go ahead and throw that quote up. This is uh, from a man named Larry Osborne. He's a, a leader of a church in, in San Diego. He has a great book, and in that book he has this statement. Daniel knew the difference between sin and the things he found personally offensive and distasteful, and he never confused the two. He picked his battles wisely. There is a massive difference between what the Bible says we're supposed to stand on and what we as Americans or Arizonians, or however you say that word, or whatever we find our identity in, there's a massive difference between what we find offensive or it's going against our opinions and what the Bible actually says we're supposed to stand on. Let me give you an example. Did Daniel throw a fit in Daniel chapter 1 when he was kidnapped from his country, taken hundreds of miles away to another country, and his name was changed to a name that was ungodly? Did he make any protest or any complaint about the changing of his name? No. The Bible doesn't record that because it wasn't a biblical issue. It was personally offensive to Daniel, but it was not a biblical issue, so he did not protest it. Another instance, Daniel, how do I say this? Daniel was made a eunuch, and if you're not sure what I'm talking about, then go look up the word eunuch after church. Daniel was made a eunuch. Did he protest the changing of his physical body? No. Because it wasn't a biblical issue. Even though that's probably one of the more personally offensive things that anyone could do to another person, he did not protest that because it wasn't a biblical issue. It wasn't a God-commanded issue. You see, Daniel knew the difference. And he lived his life by what God valued, not what he valued. You see, he understood living in submission was part of his mission for his Lord. He understood submission. So how do we know the difference between something that God values and something that we value? How do we know the difference? Well, let's look at the example of Daniel. Daniel's focus was on glorifying God and leading others to God. That was the whole point that Daniel lived his life by. So let me give you four things that Daniel really well understood that I think we as cultural Americans probably need to understand as well. First off, Daniel never protested issues that were not biblical. Guys, we have opinions on everything today, don't we? And some of those opinions have very strong biblical backing and we need to support those opinions and we need to live out those opinions because the Bible says to do that. But guys, then we've got a lot of opinions that the Bible could care less about. And a lot of times those opinions do not help us lead people to Christ. Remember, our mission is to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. If we live by that, then sometimes we need to keep our mouths shut when it comes to our opinions. Unless it's a biblical issue. You see, sometimes our 
conversations, our online rants about politics or gun rights or whatever it may be, or maybe you complain about your personal life and that things just aren't going right, whatever it may be, sometimes those opinions need to be kept to yourself. And I know that's hard to hear as an American. I have the right, the freedom of speech. God never gave you the, fr- the, the freedom of speech. There are times when God says, shut your mouth and keep it to yourself because you're driving people away from me rather than to me. There are times when we need to keep our opinions to ourselves unless it's a biblical issue. So that's number one. Daniel never protested issues that were not biblical. Number two, he never protested personally insulting issues. I've already addressed a few of these. Let me give you another example. Daniel was undoubtedly forced to study the ins and outs of the Babylonian and the Persian religions. Is there any point in God's Word in the book of Daniel where Daniel protested being forced to learn something other than God's Word. Did he ever protest that? No. You know why? Because he knew God's Word. You can take a test on evolution when you're in high school and know the facts. That doesn't mean that you're denying your faith. It simply means that you're saying, yes, this is what I learned out of this book that you gave me, but... Whether I put it on a test or not is not a proclamation of my faith in those textbook informations that you gave to me. You see, he understood what the difference was between what God valued and what he found personally insulting. That was number two. Number three, he never condemned people but influenced people's ideas. Guys, he had an entire group in Daniel chapter 6. He had an entire group of people that were going against him and trying to get him to fall? And did he ever once go against those men and their characters? Not once. And Daniel chapter 6 is pretty clear on this issue. He never once attacked the people. He attacked the ideas. If you continue to read through the end of Daniel chapter 6, God gets the glory... Because Daniel exemplifies the message of God. And so because he didn't attack the people, but attacked the ideas, God was glorified. Let me make a strong statement, another strong statement. I know I made another one already, but let me make a very strong statement here. We as followers of Christ, and some of you in this room, I will point fingers. I'm not going to, but some of you... I'll be honest, I don't say things like this. I don't. I've been here nine months and I think this is the first time I've said something along these lines. There's some of you in this room that have got to stop attacking people. There are people, I don't care if they're politicians, I don't care if they are people in your life that are causing drama for you, I don't care who the person is, that person is made in the image of God. And we as followers of God never have a right to attack a person. So here's my commitment to you as your shepherd. And some of you are going to get really mad at me. And quite frankly, I don't care. If I see or hear any more attacking of an individual, I will be calling you out. Because we as Christians should never catch me yelling here. 
We should never, ever attack someone made in the image of God. It is disgraceful. And believe me, we are not leading people to Jesus by insulting individuals. So stop it. I don't make statements like this very often. If you've been at our church for the nine months that I've been here, I don't know that I've ever made a statement quite this strong. But I'm making it today. We are right in the midst of a new political season and the the insults are going to be thrown out. Stop insulting people. You can put down an idea all you want, but you never bring a person into that. Never. We are never given permission to hurt people. As a matter of fact, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're supposed to pray for our enemies instead of persecuting them. I could go on and on and on and on about how we're supposed to treat others. That means online. That means conversations that we have, whether with other Christians or with unbelievers. But we're never allowed to attack a person. So it's time that we stop that. All right. Let me say this. I apologize for the harshness that I have dealt with this particular issue. But it's, this is a big one for me, clearly. I, I just don't see in God's Word, how we could ever excuse hurting another human being. And yet, I see so many of us on a regular basis doing it. So it's time to stop. So, the three things. He never protested issues that were not biblical or personally insulting. He never condemned people but influenced the people's ideas. Lastly, he always defended his faith. Daniel always defended his faith. He always stood strong on what God's Word commanded him to do. If you take note, go read the book of Daniel. When does Daniel fight against whatever it is that was brought against him? The only times he ever does when those things were commanding him to disobey God's Word. That's the only time that Daniel protests or rebels against the government or does any kind of anything stating that he's not going to follow suit. And so Daniel always defended the faith that he had. So I want you to think about a few questions this morning. The first question is this. Would Jesus be concerned about this issue that I'm concerned with? If Jesus would not be concerned with it, maybe you need to reevaluate whether you're concerned with it. We need to be and have the mind of Christ, not our own selfish minds. Next question Is this what Jesus would talk about or post about? If Jesus was in on that conversation or Jesus had a Facebook page or an Instagram page, would he make the posts or the comments? If he was having lunch with the people that you're having lunch with, are these the conversations that he would have and would value? That's a tough one. And if you can't definitively answer yes, you probably shouldn't say it or post it. Next, Is what I'm about to say or do going to increase my influence for Jesus or decrease my influence for Jesus? If you know that by what you're going to say, the people are going to stop listening to you, you should probably shut your mouth. Because your mission is not to promote the Republican or Democratic parties. Your mission is not to promote your human rights as defined by the Constitution of the United States. Your rights... Your mission is not to defend yourself when you've been wronged or when drama is happening in your life or when you don't think everything's going right. Your mission is to lead people to Jesus. 
And so if that's our mission, there are times when our opinions need to keep to ourselves. Because those opinions are going to drive people away from Jesus. Your politics, your personal stance on something, the drama happening in your life will not have eternal consequences. But Jesus Christ will. So make sure that you're thinking about the eternal place for the people that you're having conversations with or who are seeing your social media feeds. Lastly, will this accomplish Jesus' mission for my life? Will what I'm about to do or say, will it accomplish leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus? If you cannot answer yes to that question, don't do it. I opened this morning's message by talking about decision-making. I think every decision should be made through the lens of that question. Is this going to accomplish Jesus' mission for my life? If that question is not a resounding yes to whatever thing you're about to do or thinking about doing, it may be time for you to reevaluate. Our mission is Jesus and Him alone. Everything else goes to the wayside. Nothing else matters because nothing else has eternity tied to it. So what is your mission? And is that mission being fulfilled by what you do and say? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, I thank you for today. And I know that today's message was hard for multiple reasons. But Lord... God's Word calls us to look, take a hard look at what we do and say. Your Word makes it clear that we're supposed to be valuing what you value. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray, I beg you, Lord, to help us understand your values and to live your values. Thank you so much, God, for who you are. Thank you for how you guide us and direct us, both through your word and through your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would continually guide us through your word and spirit day in and day out as we face every decision that we may be facing. Lord, help us to be a people that only values you. Help us to be a people whose primary concern is leading people to you. Help us to be that kind of people. We thank you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, difficult message. It was a difficult message to give. I wrestled over this long. But some of you here may need a moment to respond today out of that message. Some of you may need to look at the book of Daniel and the life of Jesus and Paul and Peter and John to see what is the mission for your life. Maybe you've never sat down and thought through, why do I exist? Maybe this morning is the beginning point of that discussion with the Lord. And so if you need time to pray, you can stay at your seat or, or the altar is available. You can come up and pray right up here. If you'd like to talk to somebody about what Jesus means and what following Him looks like, 
Pastor Josh and myself will be right up here at the front. We would love to have that conversation with you. Or you can always grab us after the service. But I think it's now appropriate for us to stand and worship and respond to what the Lord is doing on our hearts. Let's stand.